Hello everybody and welcome to a mid-season episode of Sequelizers. Today we're doing something a little bit different than usual, as is custom for our mid-season content. But as always, I am still your host, Jack Chambers, and joining me still are the titular sequelizers themselves, Mr. Alec Plowman. Hello. Mr. Stuart Ashen. Also, hello. Tim Matum. Howdy. And Matthew Stockton. Yep. We got hello, hello, and yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> some things never change. <laughs> yep. Uh, we are due for some changes coming up in the future of sequelizers. We'll get to that later on but this episode we kind of tackled the best sequels and kind of highlights of previous years and we talked about things like spider-man 2 and the mad max series and all the good sequels that have happened now we spend most of our time talking about bad sequels how about we combine those two things and talk about the bad sequels that the five of us actually quite like whoa 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 whoa, whoa. i thought we were doing like favorite film sandwiches i was gonna do a whole bit about the rubens from uh, quiz show <laughs> <laughs> It was going to be really good. The sandwichalizers. Yeah, yeah, seriously. It works. No. I'll no. make Can, one you, can you think of another film? You've you've got one there. Yeah. Give, name me another film sandwich. Uh, the sandwich, is, I can't remember the exact sandwich it is, but the sandwich in uh, When Harry Met Sally, the one that gives her an orgasm. That is a good one. Good uh, sandwich. The bad sandwich in Minority Report. The oh. oh. Wow. Mm. There are tons of good sandwiches and bad sandwiches. In yeah, I, I stand correct. <laughs> <laughs> Bloody hell. We're talking about our kind of our guilty pleasures of sequels, I suppose. We kind of tackled it a little bit in Tim's controversial love of Ghostbusters 2. Mm. Although the internet kind of agrees with him in a lot of ways. <laughs> that was somewhat th- controversial to some people. I think then. my choice this time will have less of the weight of the populace behind it. <laughs> oh, I think of all the, the choices thus far, I think Jax is the one that's going to have most bite back. I yes, minus the, yeah, minus the closest to Ghostbusters mm. fury, probably. Mm. Not quite Shrek 2 levels of fury, because... <laughs> That's not possible. No. <laughs> but we'll uh, we'll get there. So basically, each of us is going to discuss a bad sequel that we enjoy, and then we'll kind of go around the room, say why we like it, and then discuss it from there, pretty much. And Tim, since you kind of hinted at yours, let's start off with you, shall we? Okay. So my bad sequel that I love is Sister Act 2, Back in the Habit, which I can already see some eyes rolling around the room. Yes, and, you can. And I sense them across the distance and time of the internet uh, with our listening audience. <laughs> I love any film where the climax is like a musical number. I'm a big fan of the Pitch Perfect. That's a bold statement of any film. Well, I... Have you seen not, Bollywood? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. maybe, not, maybe not any film. Okay. Shrek 2. It is... <laughs> That's a very good point. All the Shrek movies. <laughs> it's one of the things that will endear a film to me. So mm. the Pitch Perfect series... School of Rock, those kind of films. And especially that kind of, let's get a gang of misfits together and make them, you know, perform and, you know, win or come second in the the talent contest. And Sister Act 2 does that. For people who aren't familiar with it, it brings back most of the nuns from the original Sister Act film and puts them in charge of a kind of failing school in San Francisco. And Whoopi Goldberg, as, as the lead character, becomes the music teacher and crafts this class of teenagers who don't really care about anything to start with into a choir that goes on to win a statewide competition. Dangerous it is a, minds with singing. 
it's Dangerous Minds we're seeing in a, in the same kind of inner city, very early nineties kind of diverse mm. cast of teenagers. Lots of kind of hip hop references and stuff like that. It is a very simple story. It comes in at a brisk, I think, one hundred and seven minutes. Um, <laughs> and you know, much like the first film, it is more or less a vehicle to get to the musical numbers, the plot. Oh, you know, oh, the school might shut down if we don't win this competition. <laughs> There's not a lot of tension generated there. It is about seeing the performances, and it has a really impressive cast. You've obviously got Whoopi Goldberg, who I'll come back to in a minute because she's a very interesting character. But you have. Um, um, among the, the the teenagers, you have Lauren Hill, who mm. would then go on to be in the Fugees and have a solo career and stuff. And you also have a guy called Ryan Toby, who went on to be in a band called City High, who had a couple of hits. And he also became a songwriter. He wrote Miami for Will Smith, mm. uh, amongst a bunch of other things. Um and also he's a very talented singer. In the film, at the age of 16, he hits an E natural high, which is one of the hardest notes to hit during one of the performances. And you've got most of the supporting cast from the original. Maggie Smith is in it as, as the kind of mother superior. Uh, great, as always. Michael Jeter, who's kind of shows up in a bunch of weird comedies, is quite funny in it as uh, one of the monks at the school. And yeah, you have Whoopi Goldberg. I was looking at her Wikipedia page in kind of build up to this. She had such a weird career where she started out as like a stand up comedian and then was in the color purple and suddenly yeah. became a very serious actress. And then while all of that was going on, was in Star Trek and now is the host of The View or one of the hosts of The View in mm. America. Mm. She is one of only 12 EGOT winners, which means she has an Emmy, a Grammy, an Oscar, and a Tony. Wow. <laughs> and in fact, for Sister Act 2, she became the highest paid actress in the world at the time. She earned between so, somewhere between 7 and 12 million for this, this film. Is, this is back in 1993? Yes, yeah. 1993. Yeah. And this is a film where the, the budget was only 38 million. So, <laughs> like... The half Bloody of it hell. was Whoopi's yes, salary. most of that went to Whoopi. And, <laughs> you know... of tension. Yes. And <laughs> Have you seen the poster for it where it's the word Whoopi in massive letters? <laughs> yeah. And then it says Sister Act 2 in the corner. It is, it is very much a star vehicle for her. And she She's very good. Like she has a lot of charisma on the screen and the relationship that she has with the kids feels pretty natural. Mm, and mm. and yeah, like I say, the main appeal is the musical numbers and they still like I think they're really, really strong, especially the ones involving the the kind of the choir of the kids. There's a few involving just Whoopi by herself or or with nuns kind of backing her up and stuff like that. But the finale is this kind of mashup of I believe it's the Ode, Ode for Joy with a bunch of kind of contemporary there's like janet jackson bits thrown into it and mm. stuff like that and it actually is like a really nice composition that i will occasionally just like throw up on youtube as a as an appealing bit of music sorry <laughs> throw up on youtube <laughs> 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 to the sounds of odom <laughs> Yeah, so I'd admit there's there's a little bit of nostalgia in there. It was probably something I saw on like Sunday afternoons on ITV as a kid. I I think as a as a film that's focused on the music, the music still holds up, and as such, the film itself is still worth a watch, even mm. though. I think it has something like a 7% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Ooh, Indeed it does. Indeed it does. That's pretty bad. Harsh. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I think harsh. it was it was critically drubbed, although it did all right at the box office. It earned uh, $57 million. Mm -hmm. So it earned its money back just about. And it only came a year after Sister Act the first. Mm. So very much the definition of like a quick cash in on the yeah. popularity. I have fun memories of both of them, to be honest, both Sister Act films. I think just in general, well, A, growing up Catholic. 
I was like, oh, a nun film. Yay. <laughs> Imagine you're like Father Jack from Father Ted. Nuns. You'd be surprised. My brother, who's now a priest, genuinely loves this film a lot. And or both Is that of them, why he became a priest? It's the only reason Inspired he became a priest. Inspired by Whoopi he, he heard he could get singing lessons. Um, <laughs> but no, it, it, they, they are actually... I, the thing is, I don't think Sister Act 2 is nearly as bad as A, the critics said it was, or B... The, I mean, the box office was reasonable, as you say, mm. but I don't think it's nearly as bad as... I mean, when we had the discussion of the list, of you know, you said, oh, I'm going to do Sister Act 2. Mm. I thought, oh, Sister Act 2 is not that bad. But then, of course, you see the reviews for it, and I, like, it's terrible. I also remember quite enjoying it. I've Admittedly, I've not seen it probably Since, yeah. in about 20 years. Mm. Why did critics not like it? What, what was the... Because 7%, I assume Sister Act <laughs> rates significantly higher than that on Rotten Tomatoes. From what I understand of it, I think a lot of it came down to the fact that, as Tim said, it's a very quick turnaround, a very quick cash grab, and a very obvious one. And more importantly, the first film is about Harvey Keitel trying to shoot Whoopi Goldberg in the face. <laughs> um, and her hiding out. It's the sort of witness protection, but a kind of funny mm. sort of, almost like, um, I can't remember, the, uh, the stakeout kind of thing with Dreyfus. Mm. That, that kind of very silly cop comedy kind of, but also a little bit of peril involved with a bit of a strange uplifting musical element. Mm. This film was very, uh, I think, quite, not necessarily on the nose, but really soppy in how it was presented. It, it, it kind of goes to Blues Brothers 2000 way where it's yeah, a bit more family yeah. friendly, mm. a bit more kind of, it, it, like you said, it doesn't have Harvey Keitel trying to assassinate the main no. character in it. It's kind <laughs> it, of, it tones it all down a bit. Yeah, it kind of tones it all down and you've got the classic setup of like, oh, we got to save the local thing. we got to yeah. win a talent contest. Dee, 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 dee. Like, it's a bit obvious to a lot of people and like obvious kind of cash in type stuff. Yeah, I think it's that very cliched setup, like yeah. doesn't do it any favors. And I think even at that point, it had that kind of setup had become so cliche that no one was really doing it anymore. It was the sort of thing that yeah. you got in like the 60s and 70s. And I think it does it competently enough, but it is an extremely cliched setup. I wonder if the reason they went down that route is also, as you said, Wolfie Goldberg, who comes out of stand up and is a bit more adult oriented mm. in terms of her material i wonder if they went down that route in the same way that schwarzenegger kind of did in the 90s where they realized mm. that this star mm. had massive crossover appeal with mm. kids because yeah. Yeah. Um, that seems to happen with a lot of films uh, yeah around that time it happens with stallone it happens with schwarzenegger and yeah. you know the other great action star of the 80s will be goldberg she was great in uh theodore the rex, rex. <laughs> oh now we're talking <laughs> my god hell. Um, although you say action movie connection, this film was directed and has a minor cameo in it by Bill Duke, better known as yeah. Mac from Predator. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's right. Really? Genuinely, Bloody hell. Yes, he shows wow. he shows up as like the owner of a seven eleven and, mm -hmm. and directed it. That's amazing. Did he yeah. direct anything else or is this Bill Duke? I think, Duke's, like, I think he has done other things. It's weird. When you go on his page on Wikipedia, it's like, oh, Bill Duke, best known as like a comedy actor. And I'm like, really? No, no best known for like being super intense in Predator and yeah. then showing up as a senator in a dozen thing in the 2000s. For staring off into the jungle and very, very weirdly reciting Long Tall Sally. Yes. <laughs> Got everything yeah. I need. He just starts picking up a, uh, a Gatling gun and walking yeah. through the desert. Long, long Tall Sally. For having a, a very uh, intense quasi-romantic relationship with uh, Jesse, the body in <laughs> <laughs> Jesse the Body Ventura <laughs> in uh, Predator. In fact, Bill Duke has directed almost as much as he's acted. Wow. He directed yeah. Before Predator, he was 
as a director. Uh, he directed Undercover and also starred in that. Directed A Raisin in the Sun. <laughs> yeah. A Rage oh, in Harlem, Deep this. Cover, The Cemetery Club. Loads like, of films I've never heard of. I like him even more now. <laughs> that is excellent. That has yeah. made my day, knowing that... Many of his films are not highly rated, unsurprisingly. <laughs> He's still a hero in my eyes, Jack. Yeah. It's not his lowest rated film, though. So that... <laughs> <laughs> what that is, is his lowest rated film? A film I've never heard of. Hold on. Citizen... K? <laughs> I think we need a Bill Duke spin-off episode. <laughs> he is an actor in a film called Twisted from 2004 that has 1%. Ooh. Oh, no, no, sorry, sorry, sorry. Cover from 2007 is a famous 0%er. Oh, wow. And Shit. loads of them just don't have ratings. <laughs> That's also not a good sign. That's I, think be exposure. I, I think I remember Twisted. I think it's got Andy Garcia in it, if I remember correctly. It is the one with Andy Garcia. By oh, shit. Ashley Judd, Samuel L. Jackson and Andy Garcia, the three main leads. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I've never seen Sister Act 2, so uh, back to you guys. <laughs> well, now I know what I'm getting you for Christmas. <gasps> Sister Act 1! <laughs> <laughs> Box set, motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> did they ever make a third? No, they didn't make a third, did they? There's been Yet. several oh. consistent rumours about a third. Yeah. But Got to do it yeah, before nothing. Maggie Smith dies. As, as far as I... Remember, like Whoopi Goldberg, Goldberg didn't actually enjoy making them that much. Mm. Oh. Like the second one only got made because she got given funding for like something else, basically. And millions and millions of dollars. And millions I, and millions of dollars. I will say, Back in the Habit is a great. Like, yes. It is a great yeah. subtitle. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm not gonna lie. I obviously don't like it because it's a pun. I don't like it even more because my mum really did like it and explained to me a habit, you know, like a nun wears. And I, went, I know what a pun is, mum. <laughs> is that where your like hatred it? of puns come from, Matt? No, my hatred of puns has no origin story, I'm afraid. It just happened over a long period of time. Well, that's disappointing. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Life is disappointing, Alec. His, uh, his parents were shot in Pun Alley. <laughs> <laughs> you fucking people. <laughs> Stuart, given that you are bereft from having seen Sister Act 2, we should let you be the next voice that we hear with your good, bad sequel. Well, ironically, I haven't seen the film I'm going to be talking about either. Um, <laughs> that's, that's very controversial. Stuart, that's not true. Yes. <laughs> no, I'm going for Airplane 2, the sequel, released in 1982 and watched by me on VHS many, many times when I was young. So they showed uh, the first Airplane, the classic Zucker Brothers zany comedy before they went on to do uh, Naked Gun, etc. Many times on television and would often show Airplane 2 with it, so I mm -hmm. record them both and watch them many times as mm. a youngster. And Airplane, of course, classic, a uh, direct parody of a film called Airport 75 Correct. or something like that. Yeah, not that I've ever seen the original. Apparently, it's oh, really? really bad. It's fine. It's one of those 70s disaster yeah. movies we were talking yeah. about not it's so long ago. It's slightly ridiculous, isn't it? Hence, I suppose, they're watching, yeah. oh my God, if we this ramp this stupid, up a yeah. bit. Yeah. Anyway, Airplane, classic. Hilarious. Airplane 2. But they, they go a strange route with it. So it's um, written and directed by a man called Ken Finkelman, which is a nice name, who previously wrote Grease 2. Mm. It's <laughs> been on the, on the tips of our tongues for sequelizers oh, for a while Oh, it has. Now. It's been on the sequelizers yeah, hot list for a considerable many period. Many recommended by listeners. I mean, which in Grease 2 is appalling, famously oh, so. Yeah. It genuinely is. Um, so rather than doing the whole, well, going to try writing another thing that doesn't work... He wrote and directed Airplane 2 by essentially making Airplane again yeah. and changing some of the stuff. So the concept now is instead of um, a standard aeroplane, it's a space shuttle that's kind of experimental. And all the same people are on it. They do 
all a lot of the same jokes <laughs> in the very yeah. same way. You're not selling it to me. Oh, no, <laughs> I won't be. Trust me. I know it's not a good film, <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. but I do enjoy it because the first 10 minutes or so is fantastic. It's all new stuff. It's all play. It's really, really strong. Then it gets into very repetitious territory, unfortunately. But then William Shatner joins as mm. the uh, man on the moon base. <laughs> <laughs> seen Jack's face from the concert of the moon. I've not seen base. Airplane 2, so this is going to be a journey for me. Yeah, it's like he's sort of running the uh, base on the moon they're flying mm-hmm. to and sends himself up very well. And there's a lot of good lines, little things. A fantastic sight gag where they're talking to him on a screen, a door opens, it turns out he was just standing behind a piece of glass yeah. and things like this. <laughs> Some really fantastically good physical stuff in it. But it does retread too much of it. And that is genuinely, some of it is, we're just going to do the same joke again now, yeah. the same people. Yeah. The Zucker brothers weren't involved with it at all. I don't think that any of the writing or directing crew had anything to do with the sequel whatsoever. Yep. Yep. It was entirely Mr. Finkelman. And I mean, it's not a reviled film. I, I forget the Rotten Tomato score. It was in the 40s, I think. Yeah. yeah, down from 90% from the original. So it's a, it's a pretty yeah. big drop-off. It's, it's, it's actually not drop. as big of a drop-off as Tim mentioned with Sister Act, which is like 80% to 7%, which is a big... Yeah, sequelizes typical drop off. Fifty percent is still pretty steep. I don't think Airplane Two for its strengths would probably be bad enough to sequelize in that sense because what is there? It still made me laugh. I think that's the important thing. Yeah, some of it is because oh, it's the same joke again with the same people. I but, remember that. Yeah, Two exactly. Oh, yeah. I enjoyed the first film which I saw recently. I shall enjoy it again in a hmm. diff- slightly different backdrop. Yeah. The airplane films and the the kind of the Zucker Brothers style. It's a joke delivery system. Mm. Like, and if the jokes make you laugh, then that's all that yeah. really matters. Like, absolutely, it doesn't matter that they're retreading in that sense. It does matter when they do literally tell the same joke. I think yes, that's a that is but, uh, yeah. yeah, perfect concern, Yeah. It's quite interesting because we've actually seen this work well. Because we obviously say, oh, well, why would you do the same film again? That's ridiculous. But Evil Dead and Evil Dead 2, where it takes pretty much the same plot. I mean, it does deviate in certain places, but that one, for some reason, I don't know because it's horror because the effects improve or that kind of thing, you just go along with it. I think it's because there's a fundamental difference in that Evil Dead 1 is relatively straight. Evil Dead 2 is basically a remake of Evil Dead 1 played for laughs. The tonal shift is what makes it, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think the interesting thing with aeroplane, uh, airplane two, aeroplane. Trying to emphasize <laughs> it a bit there, yeah. The interesting thing with airplane two is um, it's a film that really doesn't do well for coming out just as VHS is starting to gain traction. Mm. Because mm. I think that you could get away with releasing a film, a sequel that was essentially a remake of the first film in the days before VHS because repeated watching of the first film, you know, you could still do it. Obviously, there were lots of second-run cinemas Mm. and things and things got re-released a lot more. But it's something that wears very thin if people have unlimited access to the original airplane. If you can go and rent airplane, Mm. it becomes much more crystal clear to you circa 1983 that these are just the same jokes. (laughs) This is the same. They're they're Mm. retreading a lot of the same beats. Yeah, because we kind of touched that ground in uh, our Revenge of the Creature episode. The idea that when you didn't have the original Creature in the Black Lagoon, you would be happy to see the same thing, but played just a bit differently. So it's got enough of a spin on it. Yeah. 
I'm controversially not a fan of the first one because as Stuart and I have discussed earlier, I saw all of the jokes in other things first. Yeah. I had the, mm. the unfortunate events of growing up on things like The Simpsons and Family Guy and every other comedy that happened after 1980 <laughs> that just ripped off Airplane. Yeah. So I went and so I was like, oh, it, that's where the Shirley joke comes from. Right. Yes. Okay. Right. I've heard it's that more reference. like a history lesson. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it was, yeah. It was almost like some weird nonfiction thing. I'm like, oh, that's that. It's just a list of references to stuff. I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I've not I seen the sequel, the... unfortunately. Well, you kind of have seen half of it. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but I like space and I like William Shatner, so yes. maybe I might enjoy it more than the first. You might well do, but uh, <laughs> yeah, you might not have heard some of those jokes before because they're not been stolen quite minutes, so heavily. As said, yes, yeah. and as we've said before, I had a similar experience with Spinal Tap, where I finally sat down to watch yeah. it. And like, I'm not enjoying this because I know every single joke. I'd... I get the feeling that's largely my fault. <laughs> Just knowing Alec is like hearing Spinal Tap 24 uh, 7. Yeah, yeah. I think this is the thing with, really, to be fair, any audience when you're approaching what would become the staples or the building blocks for certain cinematic trends or now what cliches, people say, ah, this is dumb. This is boring. I know this kind of stupid plot line is. Yeah, but at the time, no one had done this and no one was saying these things and it was very unique and very original. And then obviously it's been leached and um, replicated and and, and uh, absorbed into different other things. And I think, as you say, Airplane and Spinal Tap. Comedy is a great one because stealing from comedy, it's... It, it... The most guilty parties are usually the people who made the film in the first place. And they're so desperate for the same laughs, they'll literally do the same laughs. And it becomes like some sort of stand-up routine where you're like, did you like the first stand-up? Well, here's 80% of it again, and maybe a new joke about something that happened to me the other week. That kind of thing. Um, whereas horror, everyone grows from the evolving trend of technology, yada, yada, yada. But once you've told that joke once, it's either built upon, made funnier and clever. Uh, Duck Soup, for example. Old film, great, still very funny. A lot of puns. But, you know, aside from that, you show it to kids these days and they're like, yeah, yeah, because comedy's evolved because that went far at the point and then went further because of it. And that's how we go on. Was there much of a distance between one and two? Two years. 1980 yeah. to 1982 between Airplane 1 they and They've almost two. called it the cash-in instead of the sequel. Mm. Yes. Mm. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's a problem with comedy as well, yeah, especially one that is so reliant on gags rather than, you know, character-driven stuff, is yeah. that you've got to have the time to write up some really fucking good gags and if you're trying to rush something into production because the previous one was a success then you probably mm. will fall back on just doing oh, the same ones over and over especially if you've just written Grease 2 <laughs> <laughs> you know and the fallout from that yeah my god it's also a parody film and once you've parodied that film once you yeah. I mean that's why they do that whole we'll move on to space and escalate it it's like either and I know this is this is again entering the sort of sequelizer fixing territory either you parody a different type of disaster film with the same cast yes so or, what they probably should have done yeah. is the space shuttle is just an aeroplane again with a different exactly. external shot basically mm. yeah. I think if they'd done like a towering inferno with that particular cast almost oblivious to whatever happened in the on the plane as it were yeah. and just except maybe like striker he'd still be striker basically being ridiculous and everything would still go from there I mean I know that enters a sort of like carry on territory a little mm. bit oh yeah. yes which is not what, great what are those crazy films. guys doing these days <laughs> but yeah, yeah is, is the idea of like bringing that 
returning casts back to do different things, which again other other troops in Vertocomers have done. So yeah, could could have worked, I guess. Yeah. I think a big problem is, as you mentioned, Stuart, Ken Finkelman's involvement because mm. the guy does not have a great track record. Yeah, this, this was probably his finest hour. In fact, it's his highest rated film on Rotten yeah. Tomatoes. <laughs> it does not surprise me. That is yeah. not a good sign. And he in fact has two zero percent films Ooh. to his name as well. Directed or written or, or uh, both? Written. Oh. Both written. Um, one of them where well, he also directed in Head Office and he also wrote Illegally Yours as well. Mm. Illegally when... Yours. Wow. <laughs> sure, yeah. Mm. yeah Shut up early at the title shop that day. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, I think at the end of the day, if it's a comedy film and it made you laugh, then that has succeeded as a comedy film. That's why I don't like The World's End. Like a comedy film that isn't funny. It doesn't no. even feel like it's trying to be. No. And then people say, oh, but it's so clever because it does these film references and stuff. I'm like, yeah, yeah, you're really clever and I'm really impressed. Now make me laugh, you cunt. <laughs> <laughs> and, that's <I> why, <laughs> and that's why I'm not allowed back at Simon Pegg's house. <laughs> people get you confused because people always think you're Simon Pegg? No, it's because I'm a cunt. Ah. <laughs> that also made me laugh again. So anyway, that is Airplane 2. What I like, although it's not very good. Did you get that idea? Alex, sir. Yes. Tell us Hello. which sequel you like, but you feel bad about liking. Not that I believe in guilty <laughs> pleasures, because that's nonsense. Mm. Yeah, I, I don't actually feel bad about liking this one. It's interesting. No. It, it comes in a, a similar vein to the first two films that have been mentioned, actually. It comes out the same year as Tim's. And this was a film that I only relatively recently became aware was a film that didn't have a particularly great critical standing mm. because I'd always assumed that everybody thought it was great and apparently lots of people don't. <laughs> and that film is Wayne's World 2, mm. which it turns out wasn't particularly well received at the time, mm. even though I've always regarded it as being largely on par with the first one. And it's an interesting one because you then go back and watch it and you go, so why don't people like this as much? Yeah. Why is it that this film is regarded as an inferior product? And I think there's a couple of reasons. I think it actually touches on something that is also a problem with Airplane 2, which is that there's an element of retread there. Yeah. It doesn't go so far as doing the same gags, but it doesn't move the story on mm. massively. It's also, as with both previous examples it's a quick cash in mm. so this one comes out 12 months after the first wayne's world it's very similar to sister yeah. act mm. yeah it's a really really quick turnaround to get this one out and i do wonder if part of the reason that it gets such a bad rep is that it was seen very much as being a cash in but also came the cycle where that kind of gen xer music comedy thing had mm. really blown up and was a huge market and also because wayne's world was still on saturday night live at this point yeah i wonder if there was just massive market oversaturation for those characters that i at the age of four at the time wasn't <laughs> particularly privy to and having watched it outside of that context never had that problem so the premise of the movie it picks up after the events of wayne's world one and wayne and garth still have their show in their basement they are planning to organize their own rock festival after wayne has a vision from a what what is his words it's a, a dead crazy naked native american man yeah. is how he <laughs> describes him so he shows up and mm -hmm. tells him that he needs to organize a festival and he speaks to the ghost of jim morrison yeah. and that's the premise of the movie is wayne and garth need to organize a festival so i guess as far as premise goes it's a bit maybe Thin. it's not as strong <laughs> yeah. as the, but again it's a vehicle for it's a vehicle for the comedy on yeah. paper that sounds really rubbish but 
I think that it gets some of the strongest gags in the series. There's an amazing <laughs> sequence where they are trying to do covert surveillance, but have inadvertently dressed themselves up as the village people, <laughs> which is yeah, particularly good. Some of the rock music gags, the, the Jim Morrison visitations and stuff, as, as is still the case, Garth still gets the best lines in it. Mm. They introduce a love interest for Garth, which is also oh, yeah. quite fun. So yeah, this is a weird one in that everybody else has gone, I understand why this has flaws, but I still really like it. With this film, I'm sat there going, I don't understand why people think this has flaws. <laughs> I really like it. So mm. if people could tell me why Wayne's World 2 is a bad movie... <laughs> That I can tell you great. why you like it, and it's rock cameos. That, that's true. It does have loads of... It's got rock cameos and a Charlton Heston cameo. And I think that you, the SNL point you made is really on the nose, because sometimes with the SNL sort of features that spawn from sketches, you get a half-decent film, and maybe if you're lucky, a half-decent sequel. Mostly it's a sequel that falls on its face. I think the one that's probably most successful is one that's you know less a sketch and more just a thing that was grown from it, which is uh, the Austin Powers character, which isn't really a full form bond parody Austin Powers is more just a character and we mentioned Blues Brothers obviously we covered exactly, that last exactly. season with the whole like first one's great not so much you start yeah. dragging it out and you bring it back yeah because it, it 18 years later whatever it was it's just yeah yeah because yeah. you're stretching effectively maybe about a three four minute sketch into yeah. a feature film if you do that twice you're asking quite a lot from audience to come back to enjoy it but then if you personally like, like those characters arguably much like superior universes and things you'll come back all the time for them i think arguably there's a lot of snl sketches which are already stretching one joke into Ooh. a five minute sketch <laughs> <laughs> so to then sketch into a 95 minute film mm. uh, is is really fair um yeah yeah i i mean i my main memory of wayne's world 2 which i think i've probably only seen once or twice is it heavily heavily involving jim morrison who i at the time being mm, somewhere between like seven and ten did not know who that was and so i was just like oh man they really like this jim morrison character yeah i guess he must work there you know in the words of the <laughs> simpsons um <laughs> it, it is the thing isn't it like like a, like a parody sort of thing if you haven't seen oliver stone's doors film you're getting less from the film and like again it, the nature of snl you are parodying and you are making a commentary on what's out at the minute effectively there's also field of dreams oh christ for, yeah mm -hmm. yeah in a big way. So you asked, Alec, what people didn't like about it. It's yeah. mostly the thin plot, from okay. what I read from reviews, and mostly the stretching one joke into... It's basically the, the plot is a poor excuse to, to have a bunch of jokes, basically, right. okay. which is kind of the point of a comedy film. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah not, As not you just discussed with Airplane <laughs> 2, yeah. Stuart, it's kind of like, that's kind of the point. <laughs> but also, people wanted a bit more from it. Which is also kind apparently. of what happens with the first Wayne's World, though. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. There's it's, barely it's, any it's, plot to that as yeah, well. It's a weird uh, criticism. One of the interesting things about Wayne's World 2 is that Penelope Spheris isn't working on it. Oh, and no. I think she's a big part of the success of the first film. But she... Mike Myers didn't get on with her on the set. Mm. And I think it's very much that way round rather than she didn't get on with him. It's Mike Myers didn't get on with her. And contingent on him coming back was that she went. Mm. And he had more creative control in the second yeah. movie than he did in the first. Which I think is a shame because I think that Spheris did bring quite a lot to 
the table. I think her influence on... When you even the, used her as a director in one of your pitches. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But her influence in Wayne's World is very much overlooked. But that said, I still think that Wayne's World 2 managed to be a commendable movie. And as you said, I, I do think that a big part of the backlash was just oversaturation of those characters and yeah. oversaturation of those tropes, that kind of yes. Gen X parody thing. And especially where we're at a point where Beavis and Butthead is coming in. Mm-hmm. And Beavis and Butthead is Wayne's World to the next level. Yes. And I think that by the time Wayne's World looks kind of old hat, by the mm-hmm. time you've got Beavis and Butthead out there doing their thing. And I wonder if that factored into it as well. Yeah. Yeah, that, that very Bill and Ted, late 80s, early 90s, sort of West Coast, not necessarily stonery kind of thing, Fast Times Ridgemont High kind of thing, but that, that sort of type of rockery kind of individual is such a distinctly thing of its time that it doesn't ever come back. Mid-90s onwards, that's gone. There's no... I mean, yeah, there are a few equivalents which become later, you know, there always are cultural think points at the time. But focusing a film on those people, I think the closest you get is maybe like, dude, where's my car kind of mm. thing. Another that example, kind of feels like a sketch stretched out. It does, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. yeah. Stupid film. Yeah, you get obviously dumb comedies, that kind of thing, but it never really gets to that height. Because, I mean, I know we were talking about like, you know, critically questionable but they made a lot of money they made huge marginal things and again much in the same way like airplane and uh, spinal tap to a degree bit of a cultural footprint in in quotes alone basically and the the drop-off between wayne's world one and wayne's world two isn't that much it's actually 86 to 60 percent so mm. it's not a massive it's not our typical 50 to 60 yeah. percent that we often talk yeah, about yeah. so yeah it's not as dramatic as some other movies i think uh actually there there's a sort of weird split in in that kind of those tropes that wayne's world taps into where in one direction it evolves into the kind of the dude where's my car which is very much the like here are two idiots let's watch them like be idiots and then the other direction i would say uh something like school of rock kind of taps into um which i mentioned earlier obviously with the kind of reverence for that kind of music and the slight slacker but weirdly a slacker with some sort of ambition wayne's world obviously they're not interested in being sort of part of you know the big media machine but they mm. want to keep putting out their show and mm. they want to put on wayne stock and stuff like that it's this weird kind of we're not going to sell out but we're gonna we're gonna make our project happen yeah it's the highly motivated slacker paradox yeah <laughs> i was gonna say i also haven't seen wayne's world 2 <laughs> i don't Did know you watch why... any films in 1993 Steve? no <laughs> <laughs> i, mean, I listen to the radio <laughs> such spirited serials yeah i don't know why i really liked wayne's world but i never saw the same one I'd recommend it. Yeah, me good. too, I'd recommend yeah, it. I'm, I'm with Alec on this one, actually. It was almost my pick. And it's all right. As an aside, what do you think is the very worst of the Saturday Night Live films then? If we're saying the best is probably Blues Ooh. Brothers. Blues Brothers 2000 pretty Yeah, bad. it's pretty bad. Uh, <laughs> I, I personally don't like... I'm pretty sure Corky Romano is a is one of them. I don't know yeah. if it is, though. I mean, it might be, again, like an element of a character. I think, I think you're right, but I don't want to commit to you being right there. You should always commit right. to being right. But yeah. also, I'll go Night at the Roxbury, whatever it's called, because it's the... You know, the class Will Ferrell, I believe Jim Carrey, and the dude whose name completely escapes me, who's again also again most SNL things, doing the in the car with the CD, and they're doing the the club scene going, guys, who they're doing the headbang into the side, sort of like thing in the car, listening to "What Is Love, Baby Don't Hurt Me" over and over. They made a fucking film out of those two, yeah. and they're brothers, and Jimmy Fallon, and yeah, and yeah. it's just it's Jim it's, Carrey, Jimmy Fallon. It was yeah, that, I'd that say I'd say it'd be fine, it? but it's not fine. It's kind of nauseating. I would vote. I think I'm pretty sure they made a film of. And I believe the character was called Pat. He is Pat. 
Yes. Or, or she is Pat. It's it was, Pat. It's, it's Pat. Pat. Yeah, because yeah. I was going to say, when somebody's going to come up with that because I think that is yeah. the worst. The entire joke is we don't know what gender this person is. Yeah. It's the, worst, it's the worst reviewed and the worst performing of all the SNL films. It's, so, it's yeah. meant, yeah. I've, I've never tried to watch it. So it's meant to be almost genuinely unwatchably mm. poor. The worst one, in fact, is oh, a no. Harold Ramis directed <gasps> Stuart Saves His Family. <laughs> Everyone looks at Stuart. You suck, Stuart. Stop trying to save your family, Stuart. Starring, Somebody had to. Starring Ashens as uh, the film follows the adventures of would be self help guru, off to a great start, Stuart Smalley, a creation nice. of comedian Al Franken, as he attempts to save both his deeply troubled family and his low rated public access television show. What a coincidence has another low-rated public <laughs> oh, access television Christ. show. Yeah. But yeah, the, the SNL films, are, I feel like something that we may get onto into a future episode because yeah. you literally have Blues Brothers, then nothing for 12 years, then Wayne's World. So they really like don't do anything. Then they go batshit in the 90s. Yeah. Wayne's World 2, Coneheads, It's oh, Pat, Stuart Saves His Family, A Night in the Roxbury, as you mentioned, mm-hmm. Matt. Blues Brothers 2000, Superstar, which is equally Ugh. bad. Yeah. Uh, the Ladies Man, and of course, McGruber oh. being the latest one. Oh, McGruber. Yeah. I'd forgotten that existed. I was wrong. Cookie Romano is not, but it features a ton of SNL cast. But um, yeah, I think, I think just almost always not good. That, the highest them. rated one, in fact, is Blues Brothers and Wayne's World, equally at 85%. Nice. The lowest rated Fair. is the aforementioned It's Pat. Yeah. yeah. Another 0%. <laughs> I'm not I, um, surprised. Uh, yeah, the best ones are the ones with the music in them. Yeah, actually. Like, and the yeah. first two, coincidentally yeah. enough, yeah. before they just started cashing in. Yeah. Like I said, there's 12 years between those two. Then there's nearly two every year. There's, there's two in 93, one in 94, one in 95, two in 98, one in 99, one in 2000. So they're really like churning them out all of a sudden. To be fair, I can't think of an SNL sketch specifically that I want to see made into a film. That cowbell one. <laughs> two hours. No, six hours. Get uh, link later to do it. It'd be fantastic. Uh, it feels really weird that there was never an Adam Sandler like SNL. I think he just film. Yeah, yeah. stole all the he people's just, entire he, career, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, yeah. he yeah. just went off and did it himself. Yeah, yeah exactly. MacGruber, what a weird thing that was. It was specifically <laughs> parodying MacGyver, which yeah. nobody yeah. remembered nope. except the sisters on The Simpsons, and they're not real. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I guess, except MacGyver came back recently. Yes, did they did. They, oh, there was a MacGyver reboot. Yeah. Uh, reboot? A reboot. <laughs> <laughs> a sequel and a reboot. A MacGyver reboot. A MacGyver reboot. I believe he was Canadian. starring the guy who played Havoc in the Correct. uh, X-Men. Correct. Amundo, Mr. Oh. Mayton. Yeah. In the film Monster Trucks, as we all know. Yes. Also star of Monster <laughs> Trucks. <laughs> <laughs> that was a Jesus thing. Christ. Mon- there was an old toy line from Matchbox called Parasites about these empty trucks that opened up and had weird insectoid robots in. It's just like they made a film of oh, that, that, but that's, worse. That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. Now it is my time to shine. <laughs> um, if you fucking sing. And, I mean, you're um, a singer in a band, so it's cool. And hand over to one of the two of you. It's Shit. difficult. Which one do I go for? Do I go for the I... lady or the tiger? Do you go for yeah. your uh, fellow band member or your better? Do I go? For... <laughs> Do I go? Should for be the... fellow bald man, but no. Do I go for the lady Failed. or the tramp? Oh, <laughs> I don't know who's being insulted there. Yeah. <laughs> Especially because the audience can't see who you're pointing okay. at. <laughs> okay, I'm going to go for Stogden. Stogden, tell okay. us your shit. Yeah, cheers, Alec. Uh, right, so I'm going to be a bit cheeky bastard, and I'm actually not going to pick one film. What? Oh, you, what? Yeah. what? What? Come at me, Jack. 
I'm Come ready. I'm ready. Respect the premise, Matt. <laughs> I'm going to pick technically five or six. <laughs> not just two. I'm not going to pick one. I'm going to pick five or six films. Yep. I've just seen the length impression. of this podcast stretching <laughs> off into infinity. Not even related films either. Not even films that exist. It's, Who would it's five of Adam Sandler's <laughs> finest. <laughs> Who would have guessed that Matthew Stogden is the Has more to say. Have you heard of the classic Overboard starring <laughs> oh. Adam Sandler? <laughs> Filled oh. with a favourite Jack and Jill. Oh. <laughs> Fuck me. No, I am going for Rocky and I'm very boldly going for Rocky 2, Rocky 3, Rocky 4, Rocky 5. Now, I would say Rocky Balboa and Creed, except for the fact that both of those two are genuinely good films. I would argue that Rocky, fucking amazing film, yep. really astonishing film. It's, it's hard to fault as a movie. Uh, Rocky Balboa, a really good... If we were to do a sequelizers kind of thing, Rocky Balboa is kind of it. You come back. That or Creed are like, exactly. I can imagine one of you writing Balboa, one of you writing Queed. I, uh, Queed? Queed. Queed. <laughs> one of you writing Queed. <laughs> Queed is the reboot. <laughs> Queed, <laughs> two, now a boot. <laughs> the reboot of Rukai. Yeah. <laughs> so I can imagine the, the two teams coming up with one coming up with Rocky yeah. Balboa, one coming up with Creed, and it all kind of yeah. makes sense. And it, they, they work in a way that it's like enough time has passed, the character's moved on, Etc. Etc. Or alternatively, figuring out the next step logically, which is to follow Apollo's son Adonis. But two, three, four, and five specifically, very briefly, and I do mean very briefly, the key notes of each film. Rocky, strap yourself in, listeners. Yes, Rocky is a boxing movie. <laughs> <laughs> the end. He boxes his way to a tie. <laughs> Spoilers. Um, right, Rocky Two is a rematch, and Rocky definitively wins and becomes the heavyweight champion. The key moments of Rocky 3 is that his trainer Mickey dies and Apollo, his previous adversary, now friend, trains him in how to beat Clubber Lang, played by Mr. T. Someone who's like saying, you know, you don't you don't respect the title. You just want to retire off the uh, and all the sponsorships and all that kind of stuff. And you're not a boxer. Then Rocky 4 has the death of Apollo in a match that he's trying to like do a comeback match against a comeback match against the uh, against the Russians, Ivan Drago specifically, kills his friend. And it talks about the nature of training styles versus, you know, very scientific methods versus very dragging a log up a mountain. Exactly. So that kind of thing. And then the fifth one is where it gets really difficult to defend, but I will. Because this one, there's no major death. In fact, Mickey comes back from the dead to say, don't worry, Rocky, you bum. You'll make it in the streets or some bullshit. There's but barely any boxing in the film. There's barely boxing. There's some, some street boxing, bare knuckle sort of to fight, the death, but not kind running. of. Yep. So you can just go Rocky, Rocky Balboa, Creed, and hopefully Creed 2 and say, this is a great fucking series. But with Rocky 2, 3, and 4, every single one of them adds something significant to the character. And a lot of times some of these cash-ins and things, it's always just like, oh, we want to see the same thing again. And with a boxing film, you literally will see the same thing again. He's going to punch someone in the face <laughs> and go, oh, I have a poignant thing to say. Not, not a bad Stallone, by the way. It's acceptable. But no, the first film, he he's... The thing is, Rocky gets more and more arrogant as he goes along because he wants to be just comfortably successful. He wants to be... He doesn't want to be going back to the docks and doing crappy jobs and beating people up. And Talia Shire's character of Adrian, she's trying to support him. And Paulie's always trying to get him... His brother-in-law trying to get him on these little schemes and and he just wants to just be happy and everything stops him and then he is gets estranged slightly from his son and his friends die in the in form of obviously mickey and apollo and in the fifth one the key bit of the fifth one he gets brain damage from getting smacked around so much as so he's told you have to retire that's why when he comes back out of retirement he's opened a restaurant and he's just telling the the, the punters stories and 
the reason I think there's these films genuinely work and completely hold up for me personally is they're the fundamentally the same thing as the Godfather. So yeah, I know the eyebrows <laughs> went up in the room. So the Godfather part one is my favorite film. Love the franchise as we've established on the show. Followed by part three, followed by two. That's sort of right. Uh, oh a little bit wrong. <laughs> Very wrong. Uh, no, no. Each installment obviously furthers the character in a certain way. And more importantly, it's it's written by Stallone. And anyone who says Stallone can't act because they're watching... Expendable 7. Thank you, exactly. Watch Stallone in any of the Rocky films. That man emotes beautifully and he genuinely believes he's that character. And he speaks very honestly and he cries like a whimpering nun. <laughs> Sorry, a, w- a whimpling nun. A whimpling nun. No, he does an exceptionally good job in my opinion. I think he, he's always quite... It's, it's a moving performance. And he's always just wants to have a nice, comfortable family life but he can't get past who he is and what he is and it's that nature of family and trying to escape what you are deep down kind of thing and the job always coming back to get you and you know he's always being pulled back to the ring because he will never not be in boxing it's what he is and it's what his his life will be even if he loses his wife in the process even if he gets estranged from his own son in the process who gets recast at one point um (laughs) (laughs) also i think from each film gives you the idea of success and the notion of meritocracy that if you genuinely try hard, you'll be fine. But there will be a genuine price to pay. And I think there's a nice moral core to it. And again, if you can you could say the exact same thing of the of the Godfather films. It's just less crime and more punching. And equally as well, almost all of them have been written by Sylvester Stallone. He wrote everything except for, obviously, with um, Creed being Googler. He directed uh, two, three, four, and I can't remember his name. John Avildsen. Yeah, Avildsen. He did one yeah. and five. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So it's the thing, because the worst one is also the director of the best one. Five was when everyone had enough, basically. It's like, you can't keep doing this over and over and over. But I think Stallone very much has a soft spot for being that character. Because it's the only character, in my opinion, that he's played that he genuinely gets to full stop. Full stop. <laughs> um, that he genuinely plays a different. I mean, obviously, you got the the John Rambo is a great character as well, but John Rambo becomes a very perverted version of what Rambo was. He goes from being a PTSD riddled, war torn yeah. sort of. A lot of people kind of forget about First Blood and how it's not like, hey, he's he's got a bandana and a machine gun and he's killing everybody. Exactly. It's PTSD movie. Yeah. Whereas Rocky's always the guy who comes back and... Well, just on a side note, I think Rambo still has PTSD in all of the Rambos. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But it gets more batshit and kind of forgets... It forgets... It it gives the audience more what it thinks the audience wants rather than exploring that mindset. Whereas in Rocky... It gives the audience what it thinks it wants in the terms of like, yeah, do some more training and more th- foreigners. win for America. <laughs> but at the same time, even though he's doing that, he's still furthering his character and not betraying what the character is, I think, in my opinion. I've got um, a question. You can uh, ask away. Um, do people think that... Do people like these movies? <laughs> two and three are bad? Because I've always heard the argument that, to a lesser extent, four is a movie that people have problems with but seem to generally mm. holds up well. Yep. People generally say that five is, five the, is the, correct. The, the drop-off point. Well, I wouldn't and say the drop-off. I've, I've only actually seen up to three. I've seen mm. one, two, and three. I've so, not seen four. In five, terms of Rotten but, Tomato scores, you start off with 93% with the first yeah. one, then down to 74 with two, then down to 65 with three then 
the drop off kind of happens with four it hits 38 okay then on down again to 27 right the fifth one is the lowest and then and back, back up, up to 76 and then creed is 95 so. okay mm. sure yeah yeah so that's the difficult one because i would say that two and three at least are quite worthy successes to yeah it's tricky because I, I think a lot of people depend where they come from it some people do genuinely not like any of the rocky sequels people are like rocky's really good these sequels are watered down like you said a lot of people like to go rocky then Balboa, then Creed, that's, done, that's I take a trilogy. This, yeah, like, in the same yeah. way I have an X-Men running order, I think that Rocky <laughs> running order is definitely just that. I mean, yeah. you, if you want to know more, here's the appendices, two, three, and four, and five. <laughs> and five's a hard one to defend, because. but I still think the fact that he has this connection with his son and the kid doesn't want it, and they both run at the steps to end it. No, it's, it's played as a very over exploitation of what fans want, but it also is blunt enough that it works fine considering how the other films have progressed it doesn't feel out of character for it to be like this i think in in some ways even if you don't watch them and even if you probably don't need four and five i think having the kind of obviously the first one ends in a tie he doesn't really have that like he it's a it's a moral success yes and it's a success for the character even if it's not him actually becoming a successful boxer but you kind of need both the success and the excess of two three potentially four and five as well mm. and even if you don't watch them you need to know they're out there to have then stuff like rocky balboa and creed have the same meaning that they do when mm. you come to them you need to know that oh yeah at one time he was the biggest thing in the world yeah. but he kind of blew all his money on robots and stuff like that <laughs> um, yeah <laughs> uh, and it's a it becomes much more of an arc by having those films there. yeah I, I agree definitely the case it is one of those things as well because it does cover it in things like Rocket Bible where they talk about he was the champion of the world and he show obviously clips and things mm. and he's, he's always talking about the photos on the wall and giving a, a bit of backstory for anyone who hasn't seen those particularly because people know they're not going to watch all five Rocket films before seeing Bible in 2006 whatever it was but you're right it, I think the whole series unlike like say like say superman uh, the donna stuff so one two three and four there with quest for peace and then returns yeah exactly <laughs> yeah, fucking hell. but there's like that doesn't have an arc it's just more superman stuff mm, whereas yeah. rocky does feel like a continuation of the character because again stallone is still writing it he still <laughs> owns that character and picks up where he left off and takes it further in a logical way hopefully you all agree with me listeners that uh, the rocky series is a fine series nobody agrees with you on rocky five matt I, well, do, I will defend every other film. I enjoy mm. one through four, Balboa and Creed, but fuck five. Okay. Well, I will pass over to the next person. Jack's just insulted me, so it can't be him. Stuart, would you like to go at guessing what Rocky Five was about? <laughs> well, I think it was about 119 minutes. Fuck, he's got it right. <laughs> okay. Uh, in that case, Jack, why don't you finish us off as you always do when the mics stop with your film? The controversial one. Yeah. So uh, as Matt kind of hinted at the beginning this might be the most controversial pick along similar kind of lines with ghostbusters 2 in that this series is a very revered thing from the 80s loads of people fucking love the original one and then the sequels are very very divisive and there are two sequels because i'm talking about back to the future and i'm going to defend both two and three this shocks me i thought they were all really well liked i agree with you i didn't know they were disliked for years what same here yeah so to kind of set some context, as is my role in this, in this show usually, <laughs> Rotten Tomato scores, I'll kick off with those, 96% appropriately for number one, then it drops down to 64 for number two, and then up a little bit more to 74 for part three. So they're not hated, but there is a lot of dislike for those films because of 
the kind of thing they just like don't live up to the original basically because the original is such a classic and a lot of people consider it the perfect tight script in terms of like screenwriting and stuff there's loads of extra crap supposedly like i'm, I'm quoting other people here obviously mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that bogs down two and three and they retread the first one in a lot of ways like three retreads the first one in ways in that kind of the thing people a lot of people i feel forgetting that marty goes back into the original timeline and yeah literally sees scenes from one from a different angle yeah, and all that sort of yeah. stuff but that's what I really like about that. I think I'm, I'm going to be weird and start with three because it then ties back into two because three works in a really w- weird way. And then it, it retreads the first one in a way that works because it brings everything back and kind of completes mm. Marty's evolution as a character and him understanding his place that then feeds through to the ending where he's back in 2015 and he stands up to needles at the end. Yeah because obviously these films were filmed and released almost back to back as well. Speaking of things that were released, which has been the case for a lot of us. Back in 1985, you said he's back in 2015. Sorry, yes. And he comes back around and stands up to needles and you have this kind of thing where that's a complete story for the McFly character. But you also get in three, Doc kind of gets a spotlight shone on him as well. Mm. And you get more evolution because he's kind of just batshit crazy in the first one and kind of this weird enigmatic is he a good guy is he selling nuclear weapons to libyan terrorists this is a bit weird and then it kind of comes around and he's got the the whole kind of clara thing and he it becomes a lot more endearing as a character and he really kind of develops and the journey that those two go through in the trilogy makes total sense to me and i've always watched it as a trilogy because i'm young young enough that they were all out by the time I saw all of them. By the time I was old enough to watch these movies, they had all been released. So I watched them all on VHS or whatever. And I, in much of the way that I've talked about Predator 2 and Tim mentioned in Sister Act, you end up like kind of blending some of them together and like, oh, did that happen in the first one or the second one or the third one? I can't remember. And as a kid, as you said, Stuart, I assumed, oh, it's a trilogy. It's all one big thing. It's absolutely brilliant. And I loved it. And it wasn't until I think I had an argument with somebody at university I was like, I really love Back to the Future 2. And they were like, you're crazy. It's terrible. I was like, how? What? If you like the first one, how do you not like the second one? Mm. Uh, Because it's a similar kind of thing and literally the same cast, but in different settings. And I think the switching off of the settings really works well because most people just think like, oh, yeah, it's the self-tying shoes and the hoverboard and that's it. Like nobody really remembers that much from two. Mm. Go back and watch it. It's really good. And people don't really remember much about three. They just remember like the standoff and the like cheesy Western bits. They then forget that he goes back into the original timeline and revisits everything and it ties it all back together really nicely. Mm. The thing I remember most from three is when Doc's family with Clara shows up at the end and there's that weird kid pointing at his cross. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Good lord. <laughs> I, remember, I remember the cartoon series and I remember the kids having a big prominent role and every time I saw in the film again I thought, who are these weirdos? They're not the kids from, they're not Jules and Vern. <laughs> so I um, watched the Back to the Future films out of order. Interesting. Uh, Classic. When I was a child because, yep. because you did. You watched yep. whichever, whichever I, one they I, had. Yeah, I think I might have done at the same, yeah, the, the same or time. Or the library or whatever order sure. they were on television. So I rented Back to the Future 2, then saw Back to the Future 3 when it was on television, mm-hmm. and then watched Back to the Future last. So that's my understanding. I did 3-1-2. So. Okay. 
<laughs> how did that make because at least for mine it kind of made sense oh no, no, no. I, I was i was too young i remember as a child because i loved back to the future 2 when i watched it and it instantly became one of my favorite film series mm. and i remember seeing the advert that said that back to the future 3 was going to be on itv that <laughs> sunday afternoon or whatever it was and i can remember as a child running through into the kitchen and shouting so much that I was just incoherent. <laughs> I was so excited about this film. I was just like, That's what a long weekend of nothing but Terminator 2 is. Just the same words because I was so excited that was going to be up. So I completely agree with you. I think that Back to the Future 2 and 3 for me, in hindsight, are lesser to the original one sure. just because the script for the original is so yes. tight. But that's not to say that two and three are badly written. And the only thing that stands out to me thinking about it immediately, I'd have to go back and watch them. The whole Marty McFly gets riled up because somebody calls him chicken, chicken thing yeah. is a bit... Mm. Uh, that that could have done with a bit more. Yeah, But yeah, I, I think both of those really work. So I completely agree with you. There. Yeah, I, I think um, the, you mentioned the first one and I've kind of mentioned it as well. He's kind of hailed this pinnacle of script writing and things like that and going back now as i know most of you are more versed than me in in terms of film writing and film techniques and stuff but knowing a lot more about writing and script writing and when you're a kid you don't know how films are made you just assume they exist out of thin air and oh <laughs> i don't know names of actors or directors or screenwriters or anything and then going back and being like oh yeah one is like a literal masterpiece like i enjoyed it as a kid but had no concept of like how good that film really is but like you said two and three are not quite as good but that's a very 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 high bar to set and i think they do an incredibly admirable job of living up to the legacy of the first one there's a weird moment for me personally which is um i mean there are a few sort of mile points in my life of like ah this is where i knew i would get into first of all critiquing films and then making films and that would be a very much thing it's when you start seeing behind the curtains or the, or the strings and thinking oh i've just stumbled across a thing which is probably very obvious to other people later and one of them is back to future 3 which i watched more than the other installments mm. um and the sole reason for that is alan silvestri's cover of the zz top song is it back in time no, no, back no, no. in time is the... No, it's thingy that's, back. That's uh, double, back. Lewis. Yeah. double back. Double back. Double yeah. back. I don't know why, but I really enjoyed that. So much so when I heard double back as an actual song, I'm like, oh, that's all right. <laughs> uh, but no, I watched three over and over and over and over and over. And it became this realization that Back to the Future is nothing to do with Doc and Marty. The story is about Hill Valley. And when you realize that the story is about Hill Valley, I mean, people say, oh, it's not the same as the first one and it's not as well written and <clears throat> it retreads the same jokes. And it's like, no, it's the nature of the place and the same families and the same things happening over and over and over. And the town sees everything as it exists. You can take it, you know, there's a lot of projection as it were. But you, when you realize that constantly revisiting this nature of this, if you think about it, the story, the most prominent character of, of uh, or continuing character is the clock tower. It's there for the most iconic moments, it seems, of the entire Back to the Future universe. I think I think there is some merit to that idea because I, I haven't watched two and three in, in an age. I remember enjoying them as, as a kid, but I think certainly looking at the first one, and I don't know if they develop more over time, but both Doc and Marty are kind of flat characters. They're there to facilitate the story. Like, they don't get mentioned like, oh, like Marty's thing is... If People call him a chicken, then he's going to yeah, turn around yeah. and punch them. And we have absolutely no explanation as to why, like, a high schooler's best friend is a nuclear physicist yeah. um, in his fourth, fifth, sixth. 
80 um, whatever age Christopher Lloyd is um, and in a way they're just they're just there to kind of facilitate this story um, and be kind of archetypes rather mm. than like genuinely well-rounded characters and play up some incest yeah some awkward ass incest <laughs> that's one thing about back to the future all three of them it really plays i mean that's why back to the future three plays the best it's got the least incest in it um <laughs> it's like ah that's why it's my least favorite now. this one makes the most sense no family diddling <laughs> he just borrows his old great grandpappy's hat <laughs> not his mum <laughs> When Back to the Future 2 came out, it was the biggest thing in the world. Yeah. I remember it being like, everybody must see this film constantly at the cinema or you will be burned in the <laughs> town square almost. And to this day, people still go on about, when do I get my hoverboard? You know, yeah, it's become yeah. so weirdly iconic. When, when am I getting myself tying shoes? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. they've been and gone. They were released in 2015 yes. when the film... That's the thing, yeah. 2015 but, rocks around and all of a sudden people are saying like, oh, it's now, it's like it's Back to the Future. Yeah. And I know that we've done it with a couple of other things. Like, well, we've got Day. holograms and 3D films. It's and the same, well. right? Not really. Yeah, and the amount of, like, in the build-up to it hitting that date, the amount of times it was, like, faked of, like, oh, it's oh, the date that... People oh, photoshopping yeah. on the faster screen thing, yeah, yeah, on the DeLorean screen. Hey, look, it's June the 25th. Oh, it's July the 16th. Yeah. Like, Fucking hell. <laughs> yeah. Just watch the film. They say the date, in it. <laughs> <laughs> so it's nice to actually talk about things we mm. enjoy for once yeah. and <laughs> not have you guys being like, oh, it's actually good. Don't fix that. Meh, meh, meh. We're not. We're talking about things we enjoy. And let us know, and we can have a positive discussion. Now this will go the other way, Maybe. of course. And yeah. they'll be having 100%. a go at us for like. Back to the things. Future 2 is the worst thing that's ever been committed to film. Every <laughs> Rocky film is poo! Creed is the worst. Oh. Don't yeah. Stuff. No Shrek 2 fans, though. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> not enough Shrek There's a Venn diagram there that's yeah, just yeah, a yeah. circle. <laughs> <laughs> Let us know the bad sequels you like. Of course, you can tweet us at sequelizers. Sequelizers at gmail.com is the email address to send it to. And uh, yeah, in a couple of weeks, we will be back with another topic, another mid season episode. What will it be? Who knows? We know, Matthew. Oh, shit. Soon the listeners will know as well. <laughs> Sandwiches. Come on. Time traveling sandwiches. Now we're talking. I'm totally going to bring sandwiches in. So, where do you stand on pastrami? I eat it. <laughs> Don't stand Don't on it. Stand you put it in your mouth. <laughs>